Once again, we are live from the plantation. You know, we on, you know, we on, you know, we on some real talk. You know, what I'm saying? all nonsense to the side, all you know, image, all that to the side. You know, it's time to talk about the truth. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I miss my life because our fathers said enough was enough, and we got to do something because they had us in slavery and in bondage for so long, so long, so long. And I, they, they, I miss my life, and I want my and life back. So we have to go through that too. And the women that's pregnant, you know, it's a lot of women that got pregnant by officer with the baby. They go have the baby, and the baby just disappear. And the ones that don't get their family, don't get in touch with their family. Well, they take them baby, and they put them in the box, and they never see their children. Not just afraid that we can get out of this. I never I would have imagined that we were still in the slave days until until you made it till they killed my son and I realized what was really going on in Alabama. People don't do that, don't realize it. They don't they don't even know what they hear you talking but they're not listening. They're not listening. They're not listening unless they've had it happen to them, they're not listening. Somehow or another, we've got to make our people listen. Once again, we are live from the plantation. January of 2014, we made a lot of allegations under the banner of the Free Alabama Movement. We released over 60 videos showing the horrid conditions of what was going on inside the Alabama Department of Corrections. We released interviews and stories of people that are incarcerated in the state of Alabama to show how white supremacy affects the criminal justice system throughout the state how so many people were overcharged and how many were over-sentenced, and the majority of which are black men, were young black men that have been trapped inside the Alabama Department of Corrections for decades. These allegations made by the Free Alabama Movement were justified and verified by the Department of Justice investigation into all-male prisons in the Alabama prison system. Therefore, for the last six months, we have been waiting on some type of accountability, somebody to have to pay some type of consequence, for this violation of all prisons in the state of Alabama, violation of their Eighth Amendment rights. There's been no consequence forthcoming and no one's been held accountable. Therefore, we are Free Alabama Movement in order to establish that we no longer will accept being dehumanized and no longer accept uh, being victims of white supremacy. We're calling for a 30-day economical blackout of the entire Alabama Department of Correction. We're asking all brothers that are incarcerated in the state of Alabama not to go to work from January the 1st to January the 31st. We're asking all family members and loved ones to support all these brothers in boycotting secures uh, with their video visitation. Because once secures establish their video visitation, they plan to do away permanently with all contact visits. So if you ever want to touch your loved one again, to help and support them as we boycott security uh, and their phone service. We're also boycotting access correctional as they continue to exploit uh, the family members of loved ones with the exorbitant prices for the things that they sell to those incarcerated. So we're asking you to join us and support us in calling for a 30-day economical blackout of the entire Alabama Department of Corrections. Once again, we are live from the plantation plantation. Greetings, everyone. And like I said before, once again, we are live from the plantation. Uh, glad to be back. 
another tough week in 2020 for so many different reasons, um, just as far as the struggle goes and even on a personal level. So, um, like I said, it's glad. I'm glad to be back on board. Glad, glad to be talking with the people again. Uh, we got a couple of events coming up that I want to bring to everyone's attention to make sure people are planning ahead of time, assisting, uh, volunteering, organized, uh, whatever you have to contribute to this struggle. You know, we need to all hands on deck. Um, you heard in the promo that Alabama um, Move is calling for a 30-day uh, blackout, uh, which will consist of a boycott of several companies. Um, in the state of Alabama, some of these companies are also in other states, and other states are also welcome uh, to get involved with this call for a blackout. But it's time to take action. You know, uh, we have been talking about so many different things and doing something, and uh, we were talking about a date, and, and Kinetic said it. He said, shit, we keep talking about a date. We need to just go and set a date. And so now the date has been set, January the 1st, um, 2021, is the date for the 30-day economic blackout. So mark your calendars for that. Um, also, um, next month on the 26th, um, we'll be having an event. I'm sorry, next month on the 6th, December the 6th, we'll be having an event in Montgomery, Alabama. We're going to share a few more details today. We do have more details. Uh, definitely going to have Brother Max coming down. Dennis Debo from New Jersey is coming. Uh, Sister Savannah with Be Frank for Justice is coming. Uh, we also anticipate having Professor Robert Chase. Uh, he's an author. He's a, he's a scholar. He's a historian. Uh, he has a lot of work out about this subject matter. We expect him to be able to attend and others. It's an invitation for, for, for all to come as we continue to push forward for removal of the language, the, the slavery exemption language from the Alabama Constitution, as well as we continue to try to build a coalition to remove it from the United States Constitution. So we just welcome everyone. Uh, there's so much going on. We also had a, um, a very large uh, nationwide call this week on Tuesday. Uh, we'll get Brother Max to come on and share what he can with us about that, just bring everyone up to speed on that to let you all know just how big this coalition is, is, is growing into, how big this issue is. Um, finally, we had another um some guys came with an idea this week, and so we want to try to, to, to make sure that everyone on Live from the Plantation gets the opportunity to be involved. Uh, we're going to start doing some pre-recordings about abolishing um, the language from slavery from the Constitution. And so what we're going to do is start just using some of the calls. So we're just going to be asking our callers to call in and press one and read from a script that we want you to say, and then we're going to take that voice call and put it in our video. If you want to do a video, we'll do a short clip. We'll do a 10, 10 to 15 second video clip. Let's make a short clip on that. We want to put it in our video, but we want to build these promos up as we continue to, to promote uh, the December the 6th event here in, in, in Montgomery, Alabama, and the January the 1st blackout, a uh, 30 day blackout. And so we want to show people around the country. Well, first and foremost, we'll show people around the state and then others around the country who are getting involved. We've already saw uh, Epic has committed to being a part of the Black House. So we're glad to have them on board. I'm hoping someone from Epic is on, that they can press one and update us. They had some great news this week. They're sharing a video. Uh, they got their amendment. It's already on the floor. They're in contact with legislators. And I think it's already been read in committee. I wasn't for sure. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. But they're making great progress in Ohio. 
uh, with the Epic Movement. They're still out there doing their thing. So um, I would encourage you to follow them on their social media platforms. Check out the video. Uh, we'll be sharing it. We've already shared it, but we're going to go back and reshare it again uh, throughout the show. We're going to share it in uh, live from the plantation group and the other groups. Hopefully we can get that shared across all of those platforms so people can see that the impact of this uh, that is being led by the Abolished Slavery National Network. I mean, it's just it's 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 it's, it's moving so fast. It's, it's moving so fast that it's that it's uh, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Uh, just how many people are getting involved, how many people are coming out and speaking, and just how big the um the um the, the subject is in itself. I think we have another host on. I know I think we got one of our brothers from Mississippi. Are you in the host too? He hasn't joined yet. Okay. Well, um, while we're waiting on Brother Kent to come into the host queue, he's supposed to be one of our hosts tonight. Uh, Savannah from We Pray for Justice also be coming in. But before we get to our next host or we bring those in, Max, can you give everyone an update uh, from the meeting this week just to let people know kind of like what transpired, uh, what you can share, uh, just so people know that this, this, this coalition is growing every day and, and everyone needs to get involved now. Um, sure, absolutely. As you know, during this election period, both Utah and Nebraska abolished slavery from their state constitutions for the first time in their history. They joined Colorado and Rhode Island, making it four states now that have abolished slavery. And there's eight other states who already have legislation in play to do the same thing before the end of 2021. And then there's three more for 2022. So we're talking about 11 more states already have signed up to do this and are in the process. In addition to that, another, uh, I think it's 10 to 12 states are in the process of organizing to get their legislation on board. Uh, By 2022, we expect three quarters of the country to be involved in this movement and abolishing slavery from their state constitutions as we move towards repealing or replacing the 13th Amendment. So on the 17th, we had a debrief meeting with all of our, uh, all of the organizations that we're working with all across America. So that included the organizers for specific states, as well as legislators from senators, congressmen, uh, city council members. Uh, We also had the grassroots organization leadership that was there in this meeting. Uh, It was closer to 100 people on the call than not, representing, uh, at last count, I think the minimum was 18 different states on that call. And we broke down to them where we're at uh, at this point in the Abolish Slavery National Network's efforts, which is phenomenal in the level of cooperation we've had nationwide so far. So we've got all of these different organizations, all of these different political structures at every level as well as uh, some of our older institutions all working together to end slavery for the first time in U.S. history. It's amazing. And, and, and this is just the beginning. This is step one. And it's happening very rapidly, as you said. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm like so looking forward to uh, when we make this a part of what's going on in Alabama. Um, I've been looking at a couple of drafts. I looked at the legislation that was drafted out of Nebraska. Um, I looked at the legislation from Colorado. I'm sorry, yeah, Utah, Utah, Nebraska, Colorado, because on December the 6th, we're going to um, 
we're going to present our bill. You know what I'm saying? That's the day we're going to officially um, release our bill uh, in the state of Alabama to do the exact same thing. And so this is going to be a historic event in the South. Um, how many um, do we? How many Southern states do we have so far, Max, that have passed? Um, I don't think we've gotten a, a, a Confederate state yet, have we? Yeah, well, we haven't passed any Confederate states. If we're fortunate enough to be able to work with the Amendment for organizers, and it's possible to change the language in Section 32, your state could be the first. But we do know okay. that uh, other states in the South are working on it, like Georgia and Louisiana. Tennessee is already scheduled for 2022. Uh, so they've already got their ballot ready, but it's not until 2022 that they'll be voting on. It. So those are just a few okay. in the South. Okay, the amendment for people have we do we have any updates from there? Has there been any contact? Um, um you I mean, know, I what? should leave that for Savannah because she's been doing the reaching out. I sent them a couple of emails to contact them, and I believe she did make some contact just recently. Okay. So if she's calling okay. today, it'd probably be best for her to to speak what she knows. Okay, okay. Is Savannah on yet? Because we wanted to bring her on so she can um, give us I an think, update on the location. I think this is her number right here. Savannah, press one on your keypad. There you go. I knew that was you. Okay, right. okay. If anyone okay, else, right. if you have Hi, something guys. to say, press one. Hey, Savannah. How's it going? Yeah, so, uh, good. just Thank to follow up on, um, on what Max said. Okay, before I you do that, yeah. before you do, though, if there's anyone on, like you said, that wants to speak, you want to come on, or you're trying to get into the host queue because we didn't use our normal conference line, if you want to come into the host queue, just press one, and Max will start bringing you in, and then we'll start talking. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Savannah. So she can give us an update on what we know about the, the people that uh, put the amendment for initiative on the ballot and the update on the location and some of the other details that she's going to be able to provide for what we're going to do on December 6th when we're going to start the process here in the heart of Dixie. Okay, great. So, um, hey, good evening, everybody. Um, first update I have for the December 6th event Um we uh, basically just updated, and we do have uh, a venue, so uh, we're submitting the paperwork, and the event will be held at the uh, Montgomery Plaza, which is in downtown Montgomery. It's adjacent to the Court Square Fountain, um, and the proposed time is from 2 to 4. I don't foresee, and that's central time. Uh, I don't foresee the time changing. Um, it's a Sunday, so... Uh, we were just trying to be respectful of those who were still congregating for church and, um, you know, just not making it uh, too late. So uh, December the 6th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, Central Time um, down at the Montgomery Plaza. Um, I'll be there. Max will be there. Dennis will be there. And as you said, Professor Chase. And uh, we're still working on uh, getting some local organizers involved. Um, I did reach out. I know Max reached out to the folks um, at ACCR, the Alabama Citizens for Constitutional Reform. Um, however, their email is linked to the website. So, you know, sometimes, especially since the proposition's already changed, we don't know how active they, they still are with that. So I've had to reach out to folks, a couple of folks from some individual emails that I was able to locate uh, on social media, but I just did that today. So um, I'm pending follow-up, but um, the most important thing is that, you know, we want to make sure that the local people are involved. Uh, we're coming to 
help raise awareness, but we want to make sure that we get local people involved in this movement. Uh, so we are there to support and assist in any way that we can. Okay, thanks. And um, we're going to be putting out, like, a flyer, more contact information probably in the next four to eight hours or so. So be looking for that information and updates. In the meantime, you can follow Max Parthis um, at Abolition Today, or you can, um, I don't know, what what would you, you can go on Twitter, we'll be on Twitter, we'll be on multiple platforms, uh, continue to just give general information until we get the uh all of the information put together. Uh, we'll get a press statement put out. Uh, then we'll start working on invitations. And we're trying to put groups together. So if you want to be a part of the organizer group, you want to come in, you want to help organize, you want to uh, send emails, uh, you want to help reach out and make contacts, you want to help with planning on the ground um, as we move equipment, uh, get ready to set up, just whatever you want to do. Is that something that about this uh, project, uh, that we're going to be having here next in the state of Alabama. Uh, please come and get on board because after after they leave Alabama, they you want something done in your state, you know, just make it known because this is something that we're trying to do across the country, not just in Alabama. We're trying to do this around the country. So uh, if you want to get involved and be a part of it, please come on board. Uh, you're welcome to be a part of what we got going on here in Alabama. If you want to set up something in your state, uh, the same day, we're, we're not opposed to that. You know what I'm saying? This is something that we all need to do. So just let us know what it is that you want to do, and we'll be here. Um, at this time, we're going to open up the calls. We're going to open up the host queue. Uh, we're going to open up for ideas. If you want to do a recording, just do a brief shout-out uh, for the December the 6th event that you just heard about. If you want to do a brief shout-out for the January the 1st, 2000, 2021 a 30-day economic blackout, do a shout-out for that. But we need everyone to make their voice heard, uh, and we're going to use these clips in the same way that Max just used the clips to open up the show. So let me check you over with Max right quick and see what yes, the sir. lines look like. Uh, we do have callers, but no one has their hands up at the moment, other than uh, Sister Savannah. She's here with us. Okay. All right. So um, callers, if you want to go ahead and come on board, go ahead and press 1. We can go ahead and bring in the host queue. Um, and start talking about some of these things. Um, you know, we have another execution today. Uh, the federal government is still killing people. Um, and I had posed a question earlier, you know, why are we outraged when the police kill people in the street? But we're not, we don't have that same kind of outrage when they're, they're, the state is murdering people in these death chambers because it's the same police state, it's the same police, it's the same apparatus, the same system, but we're getting a different different response while at the same time we're saying that all lives matter or all black lives matter or whatever. So why is it that these lives that are being exterminated uh, by this president and this Department of Justice on his way out the door, why is it that these lives don't matter as much to as many people? Because these are not like the spontaneous murders that we see in the street. You know, these are, they, they advertise this just like this, you know, Back in the day, they advertised. They put it in the paper. They, they make it known. People, people, you know, come out for the, the, the spectacle of it, but not, not the opposition to it. So um, that was just something that I saw today. And the number of executions that they've done on the federal level is, is um, I think they're like up to their ninth execution since July. And so just a few short months, Donald Trump them have turned up the heat. And so um, where's the where's the outrage? Where's the um, Organizing. Why are we not doing something 
to stop these murders on these plantations because this is slavery. You know what I'm saying? And that's the issue. That's what happens when you allow the institution of slavery to go on. You have this you have this culture, you have this environment. But we're trying to challenge that. You know, I did the math on that once, uh, and at this rate that we're doing it, that we're seeing now, is about 1,200 people a year killed by police, and pers- uh, probably double that die in prisons due to negligence or violence and all the different ways that you can pass. So we're talking about one decade, 12,000 killed by police, and then another 24,000 have perished at, behind the prisons. We're talking about 36,000 dead bodies in one single freaking decade. Yeah. And um, you know, we got some background. It sounds like, I don't know what that is. Um, it might be Savannah. Let me mute her for a minute and see. There you go. All right. Yeah. So, um, and then the thing about it, we don't really know how many people are dying. You know, we're just guessing. We don't know that the actual amount of people they in these prisons across the country. We don't know how many COVID-19 deaths. We don't know how many actual drug overdoses or how many actual suicides because there's no one keeping count. There's no one watching. And so without that accuracy of information, then there's no telling the the, the real scale of what's going on. And, And the death penalty, it's a small number, you know, when you add it into the overall, but it's still a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to tell. Well, there ain't nothing but uh, 50 people or 40 people or whatever, that's 40 human lives that were taken by the state that we was aware of and that they told them, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna kill this one tomorrow or next week. You know what I'm saying? They issue a death warrant and send people to go and get them and they're just as defenseless and helpless as George Floyd was. They're strapped down to a gurney. They got drugs being put in their bodies being poisoned by lethal amounts of drugs and we we accept it, you know, and we we accept these kind of things. So there's a lot of contradictions in some of these slogans and statements that we be saying and making. Um, that you know, for those of us on the inside, we're sitting up, we're we're trying to help people. What we, see, you know, what I'm saying, we're trying to get you all to understand the contradictions and the things that that disturb us that we have issues with, and that's something that we're like, okay. If all lives matter or black lives matter or whatever, you know what I'm saying, whatever the ethnic, whatever, you know what I'm saying, Where, why are we accepting this? Why is this okay? You know, and, and, and why do, where does the state get the power from to make a decision like that? Is that okay? You know, we've empowered the police to, to, to kill people. We've empowered the, the uh, prison system to kill people. You know what I'm saying? Where is this empowerment for all these murders coming from? And how many people are actually dying as a result of it? Whether it's a police killing or something going on inside of these facilities or whatnot. You know, it's the, the death toll is something that, you know, and these are, this is us and this is our family members. And these are the people that we're supposed to be here um, on these platforms for. You know, but we're not raising these issues and we're not taking action for it. We're going to take these actions December 6th. We're going to be in Montgomery, Alabama. And then on January 1st, um, 2021, we had a 30-day economic blackout, uh, consists of boycotts, uh, work strikes, and other avenues to try to defund the system. You know, we have to defund the system because if we don't, it's a killing machine. You know, we're the father. 
<clears throat> we're the fodder for the machine, and we're financing. We keeping the lights on and we keeping the furnace hot. You know, by these contributions and by our labor. You know, uh, we wanted to do a strike when they were uh, fixing to do an execution back in 2000. And I think it was 15 or 16. And 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 the, we reached out to the, the the people that say that they were opposed to the death penalty. We reached out to a couple of them organizations. They told us, well, we don't want to do a protest at the prison. You know what I'm saying? So we were just kind of like confused about some of this advocacy that we're seeing when we talk about these issues. You know, we can't just stand by and watch the system just keep murdering people over and over and over and pretend like we don't understand what's going on because the information is there now. These are plantations. This is slavery. This is a continuation of over 400 years of of of, of, of white supremacy and racism. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, a level of control. I mean, it's a total control. It's a total control over life or death. People can sit up and say, I want you dead tomorrow. You're going to be dead in two or three days. And there are laws that they have the power to do that. I'm sorry, was someone saying something? No, man, you just made me moan in agreement, like, the law. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's the law. I mean, the law. And that's what the 13th Amendment is. It's the law. Article 1, Section 32 of the Alabama Constitution, this is the law. The law allows all these things to happen. And if y'all remember um, in the quote from the, uh, the, the, the notes, I mean, the minutes from the Alabama Constitutional Convention in 1901 were this current. Uh, edition of the Article 1, Section 32 Amendment came from the, 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 the Speaker of the floor, John Knox, said that they were there to establish white supremacy, not to do it by force, but to do it by the law. And that's what these laws did. This is how they established it. You know what I'm saying? And we see the results of it. We see the carnage. We see the deaths. We see all the dead bodies. We see the death penalty laws, we see life without paroles and death by incarceration, and we saw the mine explosions, and we see the overcrowding, and now we're seeing COVID and drugs, and, and you know what I'm saying? This is what it looks like. This is what, what it looks like when one group of people put themselves over another group of people and draw the line based on race and then start carrying out practices that allow them to function in this this mindset of superiority over another, you know, and the ones on the bottom are getting crushed. The people at the bottom are getting crushed, you know, every day because of the law, because it's made legal. The police can say qualified immunity because the prosecutor can say qualified immunity because all of these people work for the system that was created by the 13th Amendment, Article 1, Section 32. This is what slavery is about. The slave does not have no rights does not have no say. You know, everything is under the control of the master. So the master can say, you dying by execution. The master can say, you dying by life without parole. The master can say, you going to jail. Your freedom has been forfeited. We're taking it from you. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the Constitution says, once you have been duly convicted by their system, by their courts and their, their, their prosecutors and, and their grand juries and, and their processes, then your life no longer belongs to you. These people have they have total control over you, your property, and that's wrong. You know, it was wrong then and it's wrong now. And so we're taking the first step of action and, and undoing it. And slavery has to be abolished. 
Negro. There's no other way around it. The institution of slavery has to be abolished. And so um, we're about our first 30 minutes into the show tonight. Um, unfortunately, we have some security issues, so the show is going to be a short show anyway. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take our first break uh, of the evening, uh, give everyone a couple minutes to get, you know, whatever you need to handle, and then we'll come back on the other side of the break. Uh, we'll open the floor up again for callers to see if anyone wants to call in, anyone has anything to say, anyone to uh, offer support. But we're not for the people on the inside. Uh, if not, then we'll conclude the show because, you know, we, there's too much work to be done for everybody. You know, there's just too much work to be done. That's what this platform is for, is to give people opportunity to speak up, to share ideas, to conversate, to show support. And so that's what we're here for. We'll be back. This is Live from the Plantation.
the plantation. We're on the other side of the first half hour. Uh, we've just been talking about uh, some of the upcoming events that we have, uh, plans, a uh, more, few more details about the December the 6th event. Um, of course, December the 6th is the day that the 13th Amendment was officially ratified. That was the date that they got enough states to actually pass the amendment. Um, it had been um, put up, I think it was first initially voted on in January of that year. So it took about a year for them to get enough states. And there was some history about the 13th Amendment that I had previously been unaware of. Like, I thought that when the Civil War was over, all of the states were just allowed to come immediately right back into the union. But there was, like, conflicts going on around that. I'm not a historian on that. I'm not going to try to get a history. But I didn't know that this was still an issue even after the 13th Amendment. You know what I'm saying? These states were still trying to hold out and be like, you know, the the hell be damned that they lost the war or whatnot. They were still trying to carry on this, this institution. And so these negotiations and stuff, they made their way into the 13th Amendment. And there were different versions of the 13th Amendment. And so there's so many layers of history uh, with this amendment that reveals the character and nature of it as to not be accidental. You know, like we hear people, we, we hear we hear the people talk about it sometimes, talk about the exception that someone says a loophole. Well, like you have you have abolitionists on one side. It's certain words that they say, and you can best believe you're going to hear from them right then on the spot. And so, like, for those of us who have studied the law and stuff, when, when we hear the word loophole, we come to it from a jurisprudent perspective uh, with the law. And so when you learn the history of the First Amendment, you learn this is not a loophole. A loophole is something that, in the legal sense for us, is like something that was accidentally or, you know what I'm saying, the, you know, it's something that's not, you, you don't associate it with intent. But this 13th Amendment was, was, was there was, there was clear, focused, conscious awareness, intent on making sure that the institution of slavery continued on. They just took it out of the hands of private citizens and turned it into an institution that was controlled by the government. And then after this, remember, after the Civil War, after the Civil War, the country had been torn down by the war, and then the society we were living in was going from agricultural society to industrial society where the cars were being built, and I think, like, We've all heard the Model T, so I just say the Model T. So roads had to be built to accommodate these cars because the, the, the buggies and all that stuff was going out the window. So the labor, the, the, the slave labor, the states, the states had an incentive to build up their state's infrastructure by building roads and building more railways to, to transport stuff. And ports were being built then or not. But, you know, just all of this infrastructure had to be laid for the new world that was coming into existence. They were coming off of agriculture, out of plantation, going into industry, and you needed to have roads and stuff like that. And so these people took our ancestors again who just had gained their freedom and put them back to work, and they had a clear idea of what they were going to do with all of these people and all of this labor. You know what I'm saying? So from that perspective, that's why I say, like, and then you learned that there were, like, multiple different versions of the 13th Amendment. And, and some people were calling for total abolition. See, there were some amendments that called for total abolition. And Max probably can tell you more about that than I can. But there were some that did and some that didn't. And the ones that didn't are the ones that prevailed and carried the day. And so there were still competing ideas and stuff going on. So there was no loophole. This was this was, this was was the intent of the law. This is what they 
intending to do, trying to do, wanting to do, and what they want to do, they got to come. You know, so the, the, the history of this institution and the fact that we still have laws about it in 2020, you know, it speaks to just how just the, um, the lack of progress towards total abolition. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about over 150 years now. The ACNC spout, we're talking about over 150 years now of continued, continued legal protection for this institution over 150 years. And so if they contend that it's no longer legitimate, it's no longer an institution, that this is uh, hyperbole or whatever they want to say, if they contend that, then we shouldn't have as we, too much opposition to changing this law. You know, but like we like discussed in the first half hour, we in the, we're in the Confederacy. We're in the South. We're in the heart of Dixie. And we're trying to figure out where do we go next? You know what I'm saying? How big of a fight are we going to have to get into? You know, and the sooner we get into the fight, the better, because Alabama has shown, Alabama has shown for the whole time it has been a state and before it became a state, that this institution is something that they never wanted to let go of. They didn't want to let go of it like during the War of Independence. They didn't want to let go of it during the Civil War, and they don't want to let go of it now. And so the only way that it's going to come out of their hands, we're going to have to take it and snatch it out of their hands. But I want to say something else um, in relation to that. You know, I've emphasized this before. I can't emphasize it enough, but I do. I don't mind emphasizing it again. Like, we can't get help if we don't. If we're not hurt. You know, if we don't lift up our voices to be heard, there's no way anyone can help. Nobody's going to care. You know, the reason why Max and Dennis and Savannah and and Professor Chase and them are coming is because we told them we want to be a part of this. Slavery's still real in Alabama. We need y'all's assistance. So we made our voice heard on that. You know, and so whatever your situation is, whatever you're going through, you know, you cannot be helped. If you do not raise your voice, if you want to press one and say, hey, I was wrongfully convicted, the prosecutor in my county did this and that, if you don't do that, your story will never be told, you know, and to think that I'm going to have all the answers or or Max is going to have, that someone is going to have all the answers for you that will require you to do nothing but sit back and listen and make a couple of posts on Facebook, that's not realistic. You know, we have to be realistic about our struggle. And our struggle requires that every one of us have an active role because if you're not actively a part of the struggle, then you're actively opposing it. If you're not actively helping to share the message and carry the message, then you're actively blocking the message from being heard because you have a platform and you're not using it for that. So you're blocking the message. You know? So then you become actively a part of your own oppression. You become actively a part of your own oppression. You know, and so I just feel like it was. A, uh, I need to reiterate that, you know, because I'm not Moses, and we Alabama movement, we're not Moses. We're not here to save anyone. We're here to create a platform where we can save ourselves. That's what our movement is about. It's not about trying to be the savior. It's not trying to replace Jesus Christ or Prophet Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. We're not trying to replace any of those, any of those things. What we're trying to do is to create a platform for people to come to be a part of who want to free themselves and care about their people and want to see other people and who understand what's going on and want to do something about it. 
That's what this movement is about. There's a lot of people out there that are selling the savior complex. When it sells, it sounds good and it sells good. It's a lot of nonprofits out there, you know. But how many of them are actively um, out here talking about the institution of slavery, the connection of slavery to the freedom, identifying the laws that made this legal, and are doing something to, to, to oppose? You know, you can count it on your hands, and the, and the majority of them are not in the state of Alabama. But we're trying to create some, and we're trying to reach out to people, and we're trying to make network, and we're trying to talk and sit down and have conversations, and we're trying to educate and bring people over to our side. But in order for us to be effective and those of us who are doing that work, then it's going to require everyone else to offer their support. You know, you've got to offer your support. No one can do it for you. You know, the people in Utah, they didn't get their amendment passed because the people somewhere else did They did it because they did it themselves. The people in Colorado, they did it themselves. The people in Nebraska, they did it themselves. And for us in Alabama, we're going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to do it because our guests that we're bringing down here that we're hosting, they can't stay. Unfortunately, they can't. We don't have the funds to keep them. But they're willing to do their part and come down here and help share the message, help us. They're helping us. They're helping us. And so we got to show proper gratitude. And we got to get out here on the ground and make sure that the message that they bring is carried out as far and as wide in this state as possible. So, um, anyone's on the call, you want to share something, you got something going on in the organization, you want to press one, you want to be heard, you're, you're more than welcome to do so. And if you also want to make an audio clip that we can use for the promotions, that would be nice too, right? Yes. All right, we got Savannah's hand back up. Okay. Hey guys. Um, so before the break, um, I just wanted to comment. Um, there was a really important discussion um, about executions and the death penalty, and you know Texas is notorious uh, for the number, right, of executions. And um, I just was wondering, like, what your thoughts are, because I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, about how the pandemic has affected uh, these executions on the state at a federal level. And so, as you mentioned before, like the federal executions have picked back up after 17 years um, of being kind of at a stall while we're actually postponing um, executions like Texas. I think Texas has postponed uh, seven executions due to the pandemic. Um, while the federal executions are continuing and, it appears like there's no not going to be any stop to it. And so I was actually following that because the, the first execution, I think his name was Daniel Lewis Lee, uh, the victim and his supporters were trying to get a state of execution or a reprieve um, because they wanted to be, the victim family wanted to be present, I believe, was their reason. But um, they decided to go ahead with it anyway. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were um, on that and how, Basically, it's kind of shifted where states are, are thinking twice and stalling amidst the pandemic, um, but the federal level, they're saying that it's okay to continue with this after waiting for 17 years. It just seems like um, it seems like they shift back and forth. One minute is one group, the next minute is the next group. The thing, the, the thing about it for me is that. Um, capital punishment has been around 
ever since the institution of slavery been here. You know what I'm saying? Everywhere that you have the institution of slavery, you have the license to kill. And so they had it on the plantation. And then when they say, okay, well, the private slave owners can no longer own a slave, then, you know, you had the, the, the lynchings and you had the bombings and the terror. And on the, in the, on the courtroom, you had the, the, the death penalty. So, like, it's like this, 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 um, this mindset, it's a mindset. It's some kind of mindset that, that, that certain of these people have that says that they can put themselves in a position of authority to take another life. And so, like, whether it's on the federal level, if it's on the state level, if it's with the police in the street, uh, if it's in the, 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 the hospitals, if it's in the nursing homes, you know what I'm saying? There's just there's just this element of being in this country and being here for so long around this ideology, but specifically as it relates to specifically as it relates to the institution of slavery. Everywhere that the slavery has been legal, capital punishment has been legal. You know, and so the, my thoughts on it are just that that the process of, of, of abolishing slavery, abolishing these mindsets, has to include abolishing these practices just like that right there. And it doesn't matter whether it's on the state level or federal level. It's all a part of the same uh, machinery, uh, so to speak. Man, I got the data on California. That'll blow your mind. Okay, go ahead, man. As of 2014 data, California was spending $308 million per death sentence execution. That's $308 million for the state to murder one person using poison gas or electrocution. During the same period, studies proved that as many as 4% of death row inmates are innocent of the incidents in which they are accused. And in 2020, approximately 2,620 people are currently on death row and so are awaiting a casual killing act by the state. They estimate at least 104 innocent and undeserving of their fate. Innocence or guilt cost the same. The price to take a life from living to dead is $308 million per head. Yeah, and it's, and it's, 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 it's nothing but an industry. You know what I'm saying? It, there's no deterrent effect. They've all, all the signs say it, it does not work as a deterrent. It doesn't do anything. And then, see, the thing about it is, like, you know, I don't want to be the one to try to be on here tonight, um, Thursday night, and try to say which lies deserves that and which lies don't. But what I'm saying is that even though some of these crimes that people are accused of, because like you said, a lot of people are innocent. We don't know which ones are innocent and which ones are guilty because the way that the system is structured under the 13th Amendment, a duly conviction, they made all of that play in their favor. All of these words have a meaning and a practical application in our life. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, you know, the crimes that some of these people are accused of having been committed, even if they were guilty, they're not deserving of the, the, the level of punishment that these people are saying, well, we're going to exercise our killing power and, and, and murder you. It's just not right, you know. 
it's not right. And and I always go back to the to the to the Taliban, the the American Taliban, uh, John Lynn something. And this man went to join the Taliban and was arrested and was in a jail where they said that he was aware of plots that were taking place to commit crimes against U.S. military personnel. And he was brought back to this country and charged with war crimes. I mean, a terrorist crime. He received 20 years in the feds. He did 17 years and got out because he earned three years worth of good time. You know, and so we're talking about a full-fledged war that he's participating in. This side against that side, and your side is responsible for every death on that side and vice versa. And this man got 20 years. So when I look at it like that, I'm saying, like, you know, they just executed a man in Alabama for the same thing. They think he would because they say that he was present or, or whatever. But here it is over here. This man got 20 years. And so these crimes that they're killing people for, it just don't make – it does make sense when you understand it. But for me, when I say all lives matter, okay, people are doing some heinous stuff, but this is a heinous society. And so there has to be a balance. I think that we have to choose life. If you have an institution where someone is doing something because they have a – you know, what is the criteria for capital murder? Is it that this person has some kind of mental something that makes them, you know, where they can't be around nobody? Because I don't be seeing people in these um, damn death row death rows where you hear reports about they eating their fingers off or they eating their nose off or somebody put their hand in the tray slot to give them a, a tray and they ate the hand off you. You don't get none of that. But yet and still, they justify these murders. So, like, what are we, what are we even, what, what is the criteria for this? What is the standard or the metric? Where is the psychological report or data that says that these signs or this is the, the, the grade for a person who they just got to be exterminated? You know what I'm saying? You can't let, you, you let them, I've never seen a person like that. I've never just been around a person where you just, you know what I'm saying? You got to have a gun to be around them because they're just, you know what I'm saying? But that's what they're saying that these people that they're killing are. But a lot of these people, we saw it with Tuka Williams. You know what I'm saying? Tuka Williams, I just don't understand what is it that we, about us as a society, that allows us to become enraged when someone like Renisha McBride or George Floyd or someone, Sarah Bland, or whomever is murdered by these murder, murderous cops. But the same murderous cop, the same police state, uh, put it on the news and tell you we're going to kill one. And there's not the same response. I don't you know what I'm saying. We, we, we have different experiences in life, but that's like something that I grapple with and try to understand. Uh, what about you, Savannah? How can you, what, what do you say about that? Why do you think that so? Why do we have that, that spectrum of, of human emotion where we can accept this killing, but we can't accept this one? And it's, the murder is being done by the same groups of people. So um, I think overall, like, um, it's really hard, I think, when you think in terms of the law. Um, they always uh, try to uphold this um, umbrella of, like, public safety, right? And so a lot of times I feel like they lean a little too much on the emotions of the community to decide the fate in some of these cases, 
So, like, Texas has um, a law of parties, right, which means that uh, someone can be held criminally responsible for the actions of another person. And there have been people um, executed um, under this law. So, you know, they they were not – they didn't actually commit the crime, but somehow they are supposed to have known um, that this crime was going to take place. So, you know, they are – they're held, you know, under the same charges as the person who actually uh, committed the crime. So, I mean, I just – I was thinking when you were talking about uh, Nathaniel Woods, just because I I followed that case also, because there was a lot of media attention surrounding it. And I think it really brings to light the fact that um, the justice system tends to, I mean, they use informants all the time, right, in order to convict people. However, when someone comes to light like Carrie Spencer did in Nathaniel Woods' defense and said, no, you know, I did this alone and he had nothing to do with it, they wouldn't take his word for it. And so I think it's really hard to judge, you know, right, what's wrong, because um, outside from the law, people bring their own morals and their own ethics into it, and it's built on our, like, traditions and you know, systems of slavery sometimes, and, and, and a lot of times just personal experiences overall. Um, and really, there's no place for that in the courtroom. Um, but that's why it's so important that uh, we amend, repeal, and replace, you know, all these laws that um, allow, like, bias in these types of environments. Because I'm thinking, like, you know, the Eighth Amendment there says that it, if there's a ban, cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, what's more cruel and unusual than a murder? I mean, you can tell me, like, a guy can get a, a drug case and get 200 years, and you're saying that's cruel and unusual punishment relative to the crime, but there's nothing more cruel and unusual than capital punishment. And so on the federal level where you had the moratorium and you have Joe Biden talking about he's going to go back and reinstitute the, the moratorium, there has to be a, 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 you know, I don't even know, you know, some of these things we have these conversations about, but really, you know, how do you stop them? I mean, we have to be realistic about the people that we're dealing with. We're dealing with people that the only uh, atomic bomb ever dropped in world history, they fired. You know, these people have multiple genocide campaigns, genocide on the continent of Africa, genocide on the continent of America, you know, a lot of this was embedded culturally into the cultures, the customs, the norms, and the laws. And so, when you start talking about repealing it, okay, you have a lot of people today that don't subscribe to all of it, or they may not ascribe to any of it. But that does not remove the fact that the the laws and these customs and stuff are still in place because they're woven into the totality of this society. So it may be that they don't engage in it, but they don't they don't become victims of it either. You know what I'm saying? So it's just so many different narratives to this stuff. But, I mean, we have to start somewhere, and I think that we've chosen a great place to start, um, which is with the 13th Amendment, this movement to abolish slavery national network, because um, I saw Max posting about you're not just taking down monuments and whatnot, but even when you abolish something like this, you're not just abolishing the law you're challenging and removing a certain ideology and mindset because uh, people can understand now that that part of who they are has been challenged. It has been overthrown. 
and they have to find something else to believe in, you know what I'm saying, because the law is not going to protect that anymore, you know. And so it's just there are so many layers to this conversation, and, you know, capital punishment is right there side by side with it. Uh, we saw people, you know, capital, we saw these people hang people up and beat them to death with whips. We we read the stories. We know the histories of, of, of mothers and babies being stumped. We know. And so when, when, when we say that that same system, that same system is what was legalized by the 13th Amendment, you've got to know that they brought everything with it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's where we are as a, that's where we are as a society. And that's what we're challenging. Sorry. You know, I just wanted to add. Right. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I keep going. I, I got a minute. I want to take. Oh, no, uh, I just wanted to add. Also, like um, this was the perfect time. I feel like to really uh, get this movement going. You know, to abolish slavery. There's been a lot of uh, talks. Uh, especially with, you know, police brutality and, um, like, the uptick of murders by at the hands of law enforcement about racism um, just in law enforcement and the criminal justice system overall. And um, I think it's been said before, but it's really important to note that, like, it's not enough for people to say, I'm not racist, right? Um, You have to be anti-racist. You really have to um, not support the institution of racism and the institution of slavery, right? It's not enough to say, I don't, you know, I don't believe in slavery. I don't support slavery. However, we still, you know, support businesses, um, you know, that profit off of it. So um, I think that's the mindset that we need to take and really stop talking about it in past tense, right? We know it's a, it's a part of history, but as long as we, keep on uh, speaking about it as if it's no longer occurring, then people will feel comfortable, you know, just kind of sitting there um, uh, idly. Um, And the other thing that I want to say, I I don't know why I I keep forgetting to mention that, like, this is a two-part event. And uh, before the show ends, I wanted to say we are doing the event on December 6th in Montgomery. Um, However, um, we're doing another event also on December the second, which is the International Day to Abolish Slavery. Help me out, Max, if I got that wrong. Uh, That's December second. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> on that day, uh, we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to have a few uh, poets and spoken word artists. Uh, we're going to be playing some clips from the documentary Slavery uh, by Another Name. Um, which is based on the book by Douglas Blackman. And uh, it's really just going to be a night of liberation. We really need to start focusing on, you know, what freedom looks like um, in America today, right, Um, and um, really working toward um, blacking out, as Max said, uh, Operation Mm -hmm. Blackout, right, and really uh, getting America free. So um, December the 2nd, uh, we're going to do it from 6 p.m. to 7.30. Uh, We're calling it Slavery by Another Name. We're also calling our December 6th rally Slavery by Another Name. But, um, again, the message and the goal is to uh, free these United States of America. And to free the slaves. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, I I just want to I, I want to say first, I want to give you some data, and then I want to address the apathy question that you asked because we have considered okay. this deeply. 
And we talked a lot about the Eighth Amendment on abolition today in our archives. You can find uh, the coolest cuts where we go into detail. And since 1973, 159 people have been exonerated and freed from death row. That's not all the people who were innocent. That's just the ones they were able to find now with the limited amount of resources that they have using DNA and other such methods. That means that we're killing innocent people with these death penalties. And America is a state that was built on slavery and genocide. We do not have the right or the moral authority to decide who lives and dies. It's really just that simple. Uh, So as far as the apathy is concerned and why people don't care is because of the systemic way that this system of slavery is set up. It's set up from cradle to grave to convince you that once a person is duly convicted, their life is worthless. You you equate them immediately with the most terrible, horrible criminals you can think of. And they're people like, you know, uh, Wesley Snipes in there for tax evasion or somebody in there for marijuana uh, possession or somebody who's on their third strike or, or maximum sentence for minimum crime. These, you know, but once they go in there, we write them off. Even our own communities will sit and develop economic development pro- programs aimed at the black community and not even consider the plights of those who are behind bars. So the problem is the systemic nature in which we are demonized, criminalized, and then incarcerated. I thought you said you had another part to that too. Oh, you got both of them. Okay. Yeah, I said both of them. The first one was the okay, data yeah, about so, you know. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, Mac. It's just um, any callers. Oh yeah, if, if there are any callers, um, you want to press one? Go ahead and, and, and press one now. Um, if not, we're gonna go ahead and get ready to wrap up. But one thing I wanted to say before we get ready to wrap up. Like, it's amazing, you know what I'm saying? People are, are on the call and listening because they have family members locked up. Elevate their story. We see the free, this person, like free James Bond. We see free James, I'm just calling his petition out. We see free James Bond's petition all over the place. He popped up on Fly Nubian Queen. He's, he's getting his message out there. You know what I'm saying? This platform, call in and elevate free James Bond, you know, or, or whatnot. This is how we. This is this is just one of our platforms to get these stories out to get people to understand, you know, that the words "duly convicted" means not that justice was served, not that the constitutional rights were applied equally. It means that the system that they set up worked. It worked from from rule one to rule thirty. It does not mean that you receive uh, adequate counsel. Rule six only says you're entitled to counsel for your defense. You know, so when they say that, then this court-appointed lawyer showing up telling you to plead guilty the first day he met you, that's the duly, that's the due diligence. Like, duly, look at duly as due diligence. Duly as in this is what their duties or just what they were required to do. So they took you through all of that. The, the, you you got a grand jury to pass an indictment on you. Okay, on paper, your grand jury reviewed evidence, but we know what goes on behind the scenes. But that's not factored into the duly convicted part. They don't care about that. They got that rigged against us. You know what I'm saying? So they didn't. That, that didn't mean have nothing to do with fairness. It means you got this stuff that we got on paper. You got a jury of twelve. You know, people have had so many issues with jury. You know what I'm saying? We could go on and on and on and on. But what we're trying, what we want, what we got, what people are going to have to do 
is we're going to have to get other people to understand what duly convicted means. And the only way they're going to do that is if they see a story like Free James Bond. So um, we're going to get ready to wind down the last few minutes of the show. Let's see. We've already taken one break. It's 8.05. Um, I guess what we're going to do is we're just going to get ready to wind down. Do we have any callers? Anyone press one want to speak, Max? No, we have a couple callers, but nobody with their hands up. Wait, okay. We just All got right. a hand up. We just got a hand up. Okay. All right. Now Come about on you in. Go. Um, you are live on the plantation. Good evening. How y'all doing? Hey, what's up, brother? Thank you for joining. This brother, yeah, this brother Elijah, man, just sitting back, y'all, all right. enjoying all the knowledge and just taking in all the all the information that you, you guys are um, putting out there. And, and I want to say thank you because if it wasn't for guys like you and um, Mike and for Hannibal and people like Savannah to to have that extra drive and that extra push to to keep searching and to to to, to keep searching for data and to keep digging for information, we would never have known a lot of this information. And that's where I fall short at, and I procrastinate in that area. But I want to thank you guys for standing strong and firm in that area where you do push forward that you don't just stop because the door is closed in your face, but you continue to push forward, and, and, and I commend you for that. And, and, and if it wasn't for you guys, I, I wouldn't even know that I was a slave, being honest, um, about the 13th Amendment. But what I do know is I know right from wrong, and I know that even from the court system all the way down to ADOC that everything that I went through it was implemented toward me that it was wrong. Come to find out these people was doing way more wrong than I was convicted of of the crime that they had me to plead guilty to. And the reason I say that is because how do you take a person back into the courtroom without representation of their counsel and have a little session and have the court reporter to put down that my attorney is answering a question and my attorney is not present in the room. I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't know what it meant at the time. And through my journey of incarceration and looking back over my situation and my case and how I got all this time and stuff, it, it, it's through the corruption of this court system. It started way there, and, and, and then it went on down through the ADOC, where I am now. And, and, and it's, it's sad because one time in my life, I really thought we lived in a great country. I really did. But the older I get and the more my eyes are open and being incarcerated in this system, I now see that this, 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 this great country that I was Food to believe as a child by standing up in the classroom and placing my hand across my heart, pledging allegiance to a flag and, and singing a song. Uh, you know, it, it, it was all a bunch of bull. It, it wasn't for me. The land of the free and the home of the brave. It, it wasn't meant for me. But it was meant for me to know the song. And now on this journey, I see that slavery was never done away with. 
And I used to think about my great-grandfathers and how they was enslaved and how they had to get to the point where they said enough was enough and, and this is wrong and, and I stand against this even though they lost their lives, a lot of them, we're at that point right now. It, it, it hasn't changed. Nothing changed. The way they, the only thing changed is the way that they operate and, and it's crazy, but it's real. And being incarcerated and enslaved, they're still beating the slaves. They're still killing the slaves, killing us slaves. I mean, it, it's no different than child abuse, the way that they do us. Or it, it's no different than uh, a CNA neglecting an old person in, a, in, in, in an old folks' home. It, it, it's no different. It's no different than, than, than beating a mentally ill person that is defenseless and can't defend themselves. It's no different than what they do here. It's the same thing happened on the plantation. It's happening now. And if it wasn't for people like you, you guys that put this stuff out there and give people the opportunity to, to learn and how to fight against this thing, man. And I just want to say thank you and just keep doing what you guys are doing, man. And, and, and I know one thing. If we continue to fight, I know that we will win this battle. So Amen. I encourage the people to keep fighting and keep striving and don't give up. And the most important thing for all ears that's listening, please don't ever forget that there is a God that sits high and he looks low and he knows everything that's going on. And our God stands for the same thing that we stand for, and that's right. That's peace. So I want to encourage you people to know that we are on the right track and to keep pushing forward. Savannah, thank you. Mike, thank you. Annabelle, my hat off to you, brother. And I'll peace with that. Brother, I want to ask you a question before you go. I definitely appreciate you calling in and always supporting us and just sharing wisdom, you know, the way that you articulate your experiences in life, you know, it's, it's mesmerizing, really. I'll be listening to you. I enjoy to hear you speak. Um, what I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about the part in your trial where the attorney, where the court reporter was recording answers from your attorney when your attorney wasn't present. Um, has your attorney... Has your attorney uh, gave you any kind of affidavit or anything like that, uh, confirming that he was not present at that time? And let me tell you, let me sum that up for you real quick if I can. I yes, was, yes. Uh, I was what you call railroad. I was just so happened to be finishing up a um, a, a, a violation. I was in Costa, I was in Florida prison. Um at the time that they extradited me from a Florida prison to Alabama prison to stand trial for sexual abuse and for theft of property case against my ex-girlfriend. And um, I guess time must have been coming up on a court, yeah, whatever it was, time was coming, pushing forward for a court date here in Alabama, but I was incarcerated in Florida. So they rushed me, they extradited me from a Florida prison, like early November uh, of 1993. They extradited me to Alabama, and I went straight from the um, patrol car straight up to 
the jail, I mean, to the um, judge's chamber. Um, you know, by the time I got in the judge's chamber, he sat down and talked to me for a few minutes and, and um, trying to find an attorney to appoint for my case because my child was supposed to come up in 3rd of December, I think it was, of 93. But anyway, he uh, didn't have a a lawyer to form me. So it just so happened, this lady, Miss Phyllis Lawson, she walked into the courtroom, I mean, into the judge's chamber, and he was like, oh, I got you a lawyer right there. And uh, she immediately hollered out, I'll never forget it. She screamed, oh, no, I'm booked up. Uh, it's, you know, holiday season coming up. I, I, I'm booked up, and she didn't want no more cases. But anyway, they went in the judge's chamber, came back out a few minutes, and she introduced herself as my, ju- my uh, lawyer. I already knew her from her appearance because of me having to stand before her as a, uh, if you, could you people hold on for a minute, man? They can the sound here right quick. Okay, yeah, sure. We'll hold on. Uh, we'll follow back up with him as soon as they get through with the count. Uh, I'm interested in hearing this. Go ahead. He brought he brought up a good point um, about when he mentioned earlier about plea bargaining. I was I think that's a whole other show though, because <laughs> uh, you know we know the statistics on plea bargaining, and when you look at supposed due process of law, you know when like ninety seven percent of federal cases and ninety four percent of state cases are ending in plea bargaining, like who's really getting you know getting justice right? And I'm very interested in that data um, because it's like, you know, how are they working, you know, toward justice if everybody's signing for their time, you know, and they're encouraging that. Yeah, you're right. The first thing you said was right. It's like conversation for another show because, like, I mean, all of that, you know, all of that ties into the legitimacy of the system. And that's the part of like when 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 Max and I first started having these conversations about Colorado, we we were specifically on Colorado because at the time they were the only one who had did it. And I was like, well, I was like curious to know what happened or what changed her. And then you know, and this was I think before they even filed the lawsuits, and then not long after they stopped filing the lawsuits and stuff, because you know, when you change the language and you remove the language. And people don't have you don't have the language to point to anymore. Then how do we continue to attack the system? Because all of this stuff that you're talking about, these plea bargains, these rigged juries, these incompetent lawyers, all of that is part of a system that we can point to in the law and say this is why all of that's going on. And then when you take the law away, then you know how do we keep that part of the because the the system is illegitimate. and is predicated on these laws. But just when you remove the law, you do not necessarily remove all of the illegitimacies from the system. And then you no longer have the law to point to to say, see, this is what that system is based on. You know what I'm saying? But that's when the organizing and the, and the activists, and that's where our skills come into play to continue to be effective after the amendment because you know, there are some people that, that look at this part of the job. They look at this part of the repeal and replace abolition the struggle. They look at it and they roll their eyes like, oh, that ain't, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a part of the process, you know, whether we like it or not. And if the other areas 
that we're saying, well, this needs to be going on. If those areas are not more developed and not better organized, that don't mean these people have to stop and wait on the other groups and, and ten entities to get their shit together. These people have a mission, too. They didn't volunteer or sign up for all of this stuff. They volunteered to sign up for the task that they've chosen to take. And they want people free. And they want people free. So they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting to abolish slavery, not just abolish the slave laws. You know, I guess that should be distinguished. Uh, am I correct on that, Matt? You're absolutely correct. The final thing for me is to see freedom for my people and to see an end of this systemic oppression. The school-to-prison pipeline, the cradle-to-grave indoctrination, it's all got to end. And we need black autonomy at some point where we get to decide our own future. That's right. That's right, because that's something that we have never had. Black people have, you know, um, you know, this is a this is one of those we understand that there was a time when there were some white people who were also made slaves for a period of time. For a period of time. For black people there has never been a period of time where we've not been under this we have not been under this this we haven't worn this yoke. We haven't had a period of time. You know, it's been continuous on and on and on and on and on and on. And that's what makes our struggle different. You know, and even after the the private ownership of slavery was abolished, okay, before that, every black person was a slave. And after that, not every black person was a slave in the literal sense of being on these particular plantations. But the Jim Crow laws and the discrimination, we've had some kind of barrier between us being whole as citizens and human beings in this country. You know, we continue to have those barriers. And one of the the strongholds on... Okay, go ahead. Let's go ahead and bring the caller on. Go ahead. What's the last um, word? 7108. 7108. Thank you for calling live from the plantation. You're in the host. Go ahead. Uh, Check to make sure your phone is... Yes, go ahead. We can hear you, ma'am. Okay, okay. Uh, this is Sabina. How you guys doing? Hello. Uh, we're doing great. Thank you for calling live from the plantation. Glad to have you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just glad you guys started this uh, radio show back up. Uh, this was um, one of my favorite shows because I get to hear directly from the belly of the beast. And, um, you know, that I'm the cousin of Peppy McKenzie in uh, Stillwater, Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, he he recently had COVID. Uh, The whole prison was pretty much infected, and he did write a a statement about it, um, which I did post on his uh, Facebook page. And uh, it was intentional exposure to it. Um, from from his uh, letter that he wrote me to post up, and also my brother had it, who was also in Moose Lake in Minneapolis, who was just recently incarcerated, and uh, okay. I I called the commissioner or whoever is over this stuff, and they said my brother had a hundred and five temperature uh, degree temperature, which is that can be fatal just with a temperature mm-hmm. like that. And um, I'm a nurse, and I did call and, uh, you know, express concern about it. And they um, 
took him, they did take him to the hospital. But um, a lot of these brothers are suffering. Um, I'm sure it's not just Minnesota prisons. It's, I'm sure it's Alabama, California. It's, it's everywhere. Nationwide. It's definitely nationwide. Yeah. And um, that makes me sad, you know. Um, uh, I'm agreeing with, uh, you know, this uh, struggle and I feel like this election with Trump and Biden is starting to, re- Trump did one thing, he revealed the true soul of this nation and the truth of where we stand in politics as uh, ADOS and black people in America and we've just been used as a commodity and um, th- this has a lot to do with the judicial system. Uh, I-, I I resent the elders because they allowed this to happen and fester, and they they left the Black Panthers in these gulags. And now it's trans it's transferring to us to the next generation. And what what can we do to not be complicit with this system? Uh, for this to continue, how do we stop this? Hmm. Hmm. did you want to answer? Oh, Savannah. This okay. is Savannah. Well, first, yeah, that's Savannah. a great question. And second, I wish I could answer questions like that on a consistent basis, but I'm gonna let you. Uh, you can chime me and Max and Savannah. She sounds like she wants to follow Savannah up. Savannah, say what so you got to say, and I'll follow. Yeah. yeah. No, I just wanted to um, echo the concerns about COVID, right, because it is a, a national um, issue. You know, I, I'm a nurse as well, and it's it's really difficult, you know, when you have loved ones inside and you see and you know um, that they're at risk and your hands are tied. Um, and just in Texas here, like, uh, we lead the nation in deaths amongst those who are incarcerated and those who work in mm-hmm. the prison. And uh, they recently uh, released a report that said 58% of the people who died in the prison were waiting to be released on parole. And so, you know, again, you know, it's just lack of accountability, you know, in this, that uh, these institutions are able to perpetuate um, these, uh, it's murder, essentially, like they know that they're putting people in harm's way and Still, you know, I always felt like, um, you know, the only way to truly um, get people out of harm's way when it comes to COVID is to release those who are ready to be released, right? And um, the lack of just compassion and, you know, just disregard has really uh, taken me aback. I just feel like, especially in Texas, you know, um, that should have been a part of the emergency response. Like, we have 1,000, I think they said something like 14,000 people who were waiting uh, to get into programming to be released on parole. Um, However, it's been delayed because of COVID. So it's just those types of things, like the lack of planning um, and care and concern um, and, you know, humanity for our loved ones. So um, I just just to keep elevating the voices of your loved ones and um, because that's super important. And thank you for calling in this evening. Thank you. I also need to go ahead and um, mention or even 
I don't even know how to say this, but um, police killed my baby brother last year. Uh, but actually, it's been a year now, August the 2nd. He was killed by the police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, I'm trying to get the video released and dash um, cam, and it's been a lot of stalling. They did release a, a small um part of it where they did this in front of his kids so they tried to block out that part in the video and I want the whole video release I have to prove that um I'm related and for all this to you know to get my to get possession of all this it's just they got you jumping through all kinds of hoops and you know things for this it caused a rift in a family um totally unexpected um very hurt i i'm very hurt i i don't even see this country the same anymore even before this but this really solidified mm-hmm. it and then um uh the way they did it my brother was 33 and he's gone he's gone um and i i i feel like this is their law and order because I kept trying to figure out what do this law and order mean? This is law and order. This is not justice, what they're doing. This is called law and order. And I, I need that to be explained. Like, why don't these, nobody talks about the, the foundation of what is this law and order that this country uh, rests they, they, their justice on? But it's not justice, it's law and order. And I think there's a difference, and that needs to be expanded um, because, I'm, you know, we need a new language. What does that mean? What does law and order versus justice mean? Can somebody explain that? Because I need a language to help facilitate uh, a defense for my brother as well. Uh, I think Max is going to ask, respond to your first question, but as to your yes. second question, I saw a very interesting post today. I'm, um, I've, I've collected it, and I'm going to be sharing it shortly, but um, I, I know who you are. I'm going to uh, inbox it to you because it's a dog whistle is what it is, and, and this post was going in the dog whistles and explaining how those things work and whatnot. So I think you'd be interested in just reading it. It's not going to give you all the answers, but it'll give you a start. Where you can where you can okay. find the answer. All right, go ahead, Max. Well, she asked the question: How can we not be complicit? Uh, and that's impossible. We are all complicit. Even if you simply pay taxes, you are paying for the incarceration of your own people. Uh, so it's impossible to just completely separate. But you can balance things out. Uh, one thing you can do is change your mind. I heard you mention that we are Ados, you know, American descendants of slavery, uh, but. Uh, the brother Eli was just on a minute ago, and your phone line is open, by the way, Eli. He was just on a minute ago and said, I didn't realize I was a slave until you guys broke this down to me. So he's not a descendant of slaves. He is enslaved right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the AOS sees this as, as if slavery has already ended, and now we need reparations. But that's not the case at all. So you got to change your mind. You're dealing with real slavery, human trafficking, a crime against humanity. And it didn't happen generations ago it's happening right now to us uh so that's the first thing second thing is you can divest i heard you say that you are a nurse or you work in healthcare. 
we found that yeah. many yeah. many unionized jobs, their retirement plans and their 401ks have money invested in the construction of for-profit private prisons. You can check out your 401k, and if you have that investment in for-profit private prisons like CCA or Core Civic or the GEO Group or G4S, you can divest. You can call them and say, listen, I don't want to invest in private prisons. What the hell is wrong with you? And uh, the third thing is, or the fourth thing, the third thing is you can support organizations of people like us who are fighting against the system very actively. In your state, Mm -hmm. there's a movement right now. It's HF3008. That's the name of the bill. And it's sponsored by Representative John Lesh. He's a Democrat out of St. Paul. And it's to remove the exception clause for slavery in your state. Uh, So you can lend your support to that group as well who are doing it right there in your state. So ending slavery has to be a priority for us. We can't think of it as something that happened to our ancestors and now we're the descendants because we are not the descendants. We are the victims of a slave trade right now. That's right. And um, just my little side comment to that is like, you know, I don't have all the answers. I just have the answers that I have, you know, and, and my answer thus far to that question of how to end it, as uh, far as my knowledge would take me, as far as my experience would take me, as far as the network of people who who I, who I build and educate with, um, Free Alabama Movement is my answer. You know, that's the only thing yeah. I have on the subject matter. And um, I, I try to put, put my actions behind my words and represent the movement, represent the principles, represent the flag. Um, and, and, and represent the people that the, this movement and this flag uh, vouches for and represent. So that's my answer, you know. So um, I just wanted to answer your question about um, justice and law and order. Uh, just because law and order has been like a catchphrase that's been used uh, when people talk about being tough on crime. Um, and essentially, when I look at it, I think about like just the act of, you know, the, the lay of the land, right, and getting people to obey the law, whereas justice and being just is a true, like, morality issue. So someone can, you know, be upholding the law and still be unjust, in my opinion, right, because, you know, they're following the law, but they're not treating people the way that they should be treated, and they're not you know, valuing people and, you know, they're treating people like slaves in essence. So that's how I separate the two, right? Because you can be following the law and still be doing unjust things, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, that that law and order is, uh, that you know, they're hiding under that. They're using that. And it it, it it needs to be condemned. Whatever that is, like like you said, that's the dog whistle. Of course it is. But they they fly it like a hot, a banner, like a flag. Like it's over justice. It's a difference. And we I need to we need to understand more. What does that? Because that we there's a language to this. That's why I kind of like um, Ados because. It describes me more than just black American. I'm facing all those things on jobs. I'm not even gainfully employed. I don't have four one K or anything like that. And most black nurses or black people 
that are educated are pretty much underemployed. And it's due to this uh, law and order system that we're under. Um, And I'm just not going to continue to go with the status quo. I won't continue to just keep voting Democrat and nothing's happening. Um, I I, want to make a difference. We need to make a difference is where I'm at now um, in my life. And, um, I mean, for me, I mean, I remember when I'm finna say now, I remember when I didn't know anything about this word. I didn't know what it meant. But reparation, I mean, the impact of deprivation of compensation for labor for over 200 and some years under the first form, 250 some years under the first form, 150 some years under this current form. When you think about that, when you think about that you have two people side by side working as a group, or two tribes side by side working as a group. One tribe receives nothing for their labor and survives off the bare minimum. The other side receives the compensation for their labor and the compensation for the other tribe's labor. And then when you look, when you look ahead three, four hundred years, the conditions fit the crime. This is what you would expect to have when you've had this type of structure for 400 years. So everything that we're going through has an explanation for it. And our ancestors, many of them have told us that history, our history, provides the answer to all our questions. And when you look back and see that if if we ever were to be compensated what we are owed, all of us would be like the Kennedys. We would in, we would reap an inheritance. We would live like the Kennedys, or we would live like the people who are untouchable by law, because only poor people are the victims of this system. And this is how we became poor, and this is what made us vulnerable. But if we had received compensation for all of our inventions and all of our labor, yeah, it's stolen. All of our businesses and everything that we had, then we would be just like the Bushes just like the Kennedys, as far as material resources go. Not not saying value-wise, but I'm saying, but we would be in a position where like, we would be able to, like, the, the neighborhoods that they put us in where all this shit's going on in, we wouldn't be in these neighborhoods. That's or if right. we were in these neighborhoods, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be these type of neighborhoods because we would have the resources to, to make it something different. So, I mean, that's why once I learned, once I got an in-depth understanding of, of reparations and what it was all about, there's no problem that we have or there's no conversation that we can have that does not include that. If you want to talk about any problem, they want to sit on the news and talk about these problems in the black community, they need to start the conversation off with the word reparations and explain to people what was taken from us and what was never returned to us. And that'll explain all of the problems. You know what I'm saying? This is how you create problems. So, this should include, again, uh, uh, I mean, to cut you off, but I, I wanted you to expand on uh, protection, not just financial cessation, but also we need protection as a group from, yeah. from this law and order or these uh, state-sanctioned violence, violent cops, whoever they are. We need protection from institutions who uh, 
placement, education on jobs, all of that. It has to all be under this this umbrella of reparations. Well, I mean, when you get reparations, you can afford protection because gated communities, that's how they afford protection. They put a gate up. You can't get in. That's how they protect Uh If we had the funds to gate our communities off, then we would gate them off and we'll hire us the little security like George Zimmerman and we would have our protection. All of that is tied to us being compensated what we are owed. When we're compensated what we owe, then like we can, you know, we can, we, we can, we can survive. We can, we can survive just like other people in the same system survive. And if we don't like it here, we can go somewhere else and try it out, or we can go somewhere else and try it out. But without those kind of resources, we stuck in a spot, and they just got snipers all around us, and they picking these spots off. And we're ending up being murdered in the street or we're being hauled off to the jails and prisons or we're being put in the unemployment lines and we're being put in these economically deprived communities and whatnot. And then they sit around and talk about all the problems, but all the problems will go away if we start the conversation off with the first time somebody started working on the force in this country and wasn't compensated. You know what I'm saying? If, go I, back may, it if I may get in on the protection aspect. The reason that we have legalized slavery is because we're not receiving the constitutional protection that we have rights to receive. So the Sixth Amendment is being violated, the Eighth Amendment, the Fourteenth, the Fifteenth. All of these constitutional amendments are being violated specifically for people of color in this country. So if we had the military and the police respecting our rights, we wouldn't be in this position right now. And because of that, since it's so systemic and the people who are violating our rights are those who swore to defend them. We've been reaching out to other countries as well as to the UN. Our goal is to get the UN to recognize what's happening here as a crime against humanity and to denounce it as well as the African Union to do the same thing. We've already gotten at least six countries to do that. Unfortunately, when you hear about it here in America, they say, oh, that's our enemies talking because it was Russia and China and Iran who have denounced what we're doing as far as racism and systemic oppression. Uh, but we're spreading that international concern because we're dealing with a global problem. And so once the world starts to denounce the United States, maybe that'll have more bite behind it than just hearing it from those who have traditionally said they are doing this. Wow. We're getting ready to wind yeah. down. Um, Another additional live from the plantation. We have a caller on. We've had her on for quite a few minutes having a great conversation. Um, she shared a very personal story about a family member being incarcerated, another family member who was murdered by police, um, and just some great questions and, and, and comments. But I also want to extend to you right now at this moment uh, an opportunity to lift up the name of your family member who's incarcerated, you're fighting for his case, uh, share us a few minutes of his story. Um, okay, that's he, what uh, to do. I do that. Uh, he wrote this uh, little this letter I did posted on uh, under Free Peppy McKenzie on Facebook, and you can okay. contact me under that as well. Um, um, y'all have the same last name, McKenzie. Um, hello, my name is Peppy McKenzie. I contracted coronavirus due to the negligence of the MCF. Steel Water Administrators and the Health Services Department who allowed positive COVID residents to be housed, literally next door to me. Here is an update of what I have witnessed experienced thus far. 
as of November the 8th, 2020, Stillwater residents are on a continued open-ended medical lockdown. We are being let out of our cells maybe one to two hours per day with a, ch- with a choice to call our families, shower, or go outside. Prior to the above date, residents were confined to their cells without access to fresh air. The windows were closed or clean water and released every four days. All residents who have COVID were given medication upon request, aspirin. Health services has no automatic medical medication prescription system protocol in place for COVID patients. If a resident requests immune-boosting vitamins to help recover from COVID, they are told to purchase those items from canteen whether they have money or not. The food service department has been feeding residents cold food. Example breakfast consists of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, cold eggs, cold cereal, and a bagel. There have been no consistent nutritious protein which immune-boosting foods delivered. Our residents are given a high-carb diet, pizza, cookies, potato chips. All foods distributed are not in line with aiding residents with recovering from COVID symptoms or those who have pre-existing conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, etc. The living unit is unsanitary. The living unit has not been cleaned in 30 days. Showers, floors, galleries, tables, and all other surfaces that the COVID virus clings to are unkept and unclean. Deep cleaning janitors are non-existent. Indignant residents are not given indignant hygiene bags or immune-boosting vitamins to cover from COVID or to properly take care of their hygiene needs. This prison is a cesspool for COVID to eventually infect and reinfect all 1,300 residents. There are approximately 750-plus residents with COVID and one death. People who are concerned should contact the CDC, the Ombudsman's Office, ACLU, the Department of Health, and demand that all residents are given P95 masks, free immune-boosting boosting vitamins or medication to properly recover the uh, health service department. Ensure we are out of our cells, given yard, fresh air, recreation, and allowed to contact our families, fed hot food, high in protein with fruits and vegetables to help recover from COVID. And we appreciate everyone who shows up for this. Hey, that's great. Um, we appreciate you sharing with that, sharing that with us and um, get it to us so we can make sure we get it out on our platforms too um, and lift this struggle up. And there's also, you're also fighting for his, I think you have a campaign about his conviction also. Um, yeah. Okay. You want to share contact information on that before we let you go? Uh, um, I, uh, he's on Facebook under Free Peppy McKenzie. Uh, if you leave a message, I can respond to that. Uh, you can write on the page as well, and um, or you can contact me under Facebook under Bina uh, Beloved um, as well, and. 
we made contact. My cousin has multiple interviews uh, through radios and newspapers and all kinds of stuff. So this has been an ongoing fight for a long time. So uh, it's well known. He's not the only one convicted in this case. It's like five people that was convicted in his case who got life sentences for one crime. So this is their law and order of America. Everything we have discussed tonight can be found on the Abolition Today page, including the Free Pepe uh, McKenzie uh, website. So everything we discussed tonight is on Abolition Today on Facebook. Okay, Okay. thanks a lot. Okay. Um, All right, thank you a lot. Is there anybody else out there on the line, if you have a a campaign going for someone who's incarcerated, you want to call on and give them a shout-out, give a shout-out to your campaign, your petition, or wherever people can find you at, uh, we're going to let you go ahead and press one now. Go ahead and then come into Live from the Plantation and give a shout-out before we very close out tonight's show. I know we got uh, Savannah on, Justice for yeah. Everybody's got oh, the line yeah. open, uh, except <laughs> one. There's one caller who has not raised their hand. Go ahead and let the caller talk, man. <laughs> no, everybody has their line open right now. That's oh, on the okay. line. How do oh, I hang up? Uh, just press, you can press mute one. yourself if you like. Yeah, press one. Oh, oh just press one. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead, Savannah. Um, I actually started Be Frank for Justice uh, after my brother received a life sentence uh, here in Texas for an assault charge, uh, which is a second-degree felony and usually carries a two- to 20-year sentence. Um, he was enhanced under the habitual offender statute here in Texas, and uh, me starting the organization was just my quest to understand, you know, like uh, the sister was saying earlier, like what does justice really look like? Um, and, you know, what are the levels of, of law and order? And um, how is it, you know, how do the courtrooms um, divvy out this time amongst people, right? When you have, you know, someone who's, who, how do they determine whose sentence they're going to enhance and whose sentence they don't, right? And so long story short, um, it's been a five-year journey of me just learning what I need to do to help him. And then it just evolved into this, you know, campaign to help everybody and anyone else who was in that situation and, you know, who didn't know what to do and who didn't get their questions answered. And so um, the organization, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter page, Be Frank for Justice. Um, And I'll give Max my contact information, but um, I've got, you know, address, email, email. but um, the goal now is to help folks um, in their appeal process and hopefully have more positive outcomes in the justice system here in Texas. Savannah can be found at kickingassandtakingnames.com. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Period>. <laughs> at gangster.com. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to uplift the story of the Gas and Six. Um, I'm leading a campaign called Justice for the Gas and Six. Uh, the gas and six are six um, juveniles who were arrested for a delinquent charge um, in Gaston, Alabama in 1988. All six of them were juveniles prosecuted in the juvenile court system. Um, after their arrest, 
Uh, we were taken to a precinct where we were interrogated for about three or four hours uh, by an uh, all-white group of detectives. Uh, when the interrogation was over, all six of the guests and six were charged with over 30 felonies. Uh, we were taken to court the same day, the same morning, supposed to have been an initial appearance. Uh, our parents had not been contacted. We did not have attorneys. And when we got in court, instead of an initial appearance hearing, they held uh, a detention hearing. Uh, a detention hearing is where they determine whether or not there's probable cause to keep you. Uh, your parents are supposed to be present, attorneys are present. No one was present. Instead of us having legal representation, the police and the prosecutors stipulated the probable cause. And so they basically made a concession of guilt on behalf of six young children uh, who were not represented by family, not any legal representation. And then subsequent to that, the prosecutors filed a motion to transfer all six to the adult court system. Um, the judge, again, granted the prosecutor's motion, found probable cause a second time without a hearing, no parents present, no attorneys present, no even noticed that the motion to transfer had been filed. And so six black children were transferred to adult court under these circumstances um, and confronted with something we talked earlier. A plea bargain, a demand for a plea bargain uh, with the condition that all six of us would go free that day or the threat that if we didn't take the plea bargain, we could be held and tried on each individual charge and end up with life sentences under habitual offender law. And so as juveniles in that situation, we all ended up with over 20 felony convictions, over 170 years uh, in total sentencing, over 60 total years in time served. Uh, these illegal felonies were used to enhance multiple sentences. And so there's a campaign called Justice for the Gaston Six. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, WordPress blog, and we'll be building other platforms uh, to continue to highlight this story so you can reach out to the Justice for the Gaston Six campaign at justiceforthegaston6 at gmail.com. Max, did you have a, a campaign or something that you wanted to uplift or struggle someone in particular? Well, I would like to have my sister, Giovanni Marcel, come on next week and tell you about what's going on with her son uh, right now, who is being railroaded on a murder charge with life without parole. So next week, she, hopefully I can get her on the program. Okay, thanks a lot. If there's someone else on who's listening, if you've got a story, if you've got a campaign, if you're fighting for something, put your story out there. This is just one extra platform, you know. Fox News ain't going to call you. Um, CBS, not, they're not going to call, but live from the plantation, we'll call and we'll extend our platform for you to tell your story. And this platform yeah, is available on all uh, all your podcast, major podcast platforms, just so you know. Go ahead, Brother Eli. Okay. Yeah, Brother Elijah again, uh, right before I interrupted. But anyway, right when they took me into the judge's chamber and, and, and the lady came in, Phyllis Lawson, Anyway, I said I was familiar with it because I had stood in front of her as in child support court. She was actually a child support judge, and uh, I stood in front of her. But anyway, she ended up being my lawyer, uh, being appointed my attorney, and I was supposed to go to trial within a two-week period. She came over to visit me one time, and that was that Friday, and I was supposed to go to trial that Monday. And... um. When she came to visit me, she had the option of taking a life sentence, copying out to a life sentence, or the other option was to go to trial and 
to lose the trial, which she pointed out that she didn't see any way that we could win at trial because all my ex-girlfriend had to do was to say that I forced myself on her and that was enough to convict me because I had had prior felony conviction in Florida. And my prior felony conviction in Florida was a forged instrument and breaking into an unoccupied dwelling. So not knowing anything about the law and not ever facing uh, a maximum amount of time like that life or life inside in prison, never heard of either one of them. And uh, when she broke it down to me, that life without me never ever getting out of prison again, I had no other option but to cop out to a life sentence. And anyway, uh, ended up copping out to the life sentence. And uh, the morning that they took me to court, and took me in front of the judge and gave me the life sentence and allowed me to admit that I had two prior felony convictions, which they used those priors to enhance my sentence to life. And uh, they warded me over to the state. And once they awarded me over to the state, I was on my way back over to the county jail with the bailiff. And by this time, my mother and my two brothers just happened to be coming down the hall because they had drove up from Florida that morning to be in the courtroom with me. But they had changed the courtroom, and they ended up in the wrong courtroom. But anyway, he allowed me to visit with them for a few minutes. But in the process of visiting with them, they called the jailer to bring me back into the courtroom because the judge had forgot to put something on record. But when they called me back into the courtroom, my attorney had left the building. She was no longer in the building. I didn't know this at the time. But by the time the DA got back up into the courtroom, because we were standing there about like a good 15 minutes, I had no idea what was going on. But anyway, when the DA come back in the courtroom, he told the judge that they couldn't find my lawyer, that she was no longer in the building. But the judge, and I remember it just like it was yesterday, which he said that we have to get this, I have to get this on record, and I have to get it on record now. And so they struck up the little court reporter, and he said a few things about the maximum, minimum thing, penalty phase or whatever. And and he had my lawyer, he had the court reporter to put down my lawyer as answering a yes question. And there was no lawyer there to represent me. And I knew at that point that something was wrong, but I didn't know the severity of what they were doing to make sure I got convicted, man. And, and it's just a whole lot of more stuff that goes along with that. But anyway, I ended up walking out of the courtroom with two life sentences and headed in the, um, the next week they shipped me back to Florida for another seven, eight months. So I never had a chance to file an appeal and never heard from my lawyer. It's just a lot of stuff. So, But anyway, it's so much corruption and it's so many things that they do to incarcerate us. And I think there's a lot of things that they should be incarcerated for through the process of the things that they do to make sure that we are convicted and incarcerated. But I just wanted to share that with you. Okay, we thank you. Um, and we're, 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 up against the, we're up against the time. We, we're going to have to end our show now. We only got just a couple of seconds left. Uh, thanks, everyone, for calling in. This is Live from the Plantation every Thursday night, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to all our listeners, everyone who spoke. Um, abolition today, the supporters and everyone who continue to allow us to, to utilize this platform to get our voice out. We'll be back again next Thursday night, live from the plantation. You mentioned uh, again just now land set aside for your people, sir. What land is available 
that's not already possessed by others. When you came to this country, the land was inhabited by the Indians, and you didn't have any problem then. I got a riddle on the reason that the game is played. Some of us made it over, some of us stayed. A gang of people died when they was on their way. Who am I? I'm a victim of the slave trade. I'm a victim of the slave trade. That's my name, like this prison system, make the modern day slave trade. Line them up and ship them off. Make them niggas pay the cost. God must have cursed us. Now that's how they made the laws. Even when I'm watching basketball, I can't help but think. Why the fuck these niggas just gonna start they own league? Every star player should have their own team. Tell me how this is a team when they own me. Yeah, homie, that's the slave trade. You're playing in the slave game. Go ahead and point shade. Like I'm the champion, and I don't need a trophy. I'm still Michael, I'm still LeBron, I'm still Kobe. I'm bigger than the block, they can't hold me. I'm still Malcolm, I'm still Marcus, I'm still Stoker. Love and memory of those that died in the Mahaba. African mothers and fathers, the homies in the box. I got a riddle, I'm the reason that the game is played. Some of us made it over, some of us stayed. A gang of people died when they was on their way. Who am I? I'm a victim of the slave trade. I got a riddle, I'm the reason that the game is played. Some of us made it over, some of us stayed. A gang of people died when they was on their way. Who am I? I'm a victim of the slave trade. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Trayvon Martin. We are Trayvon Martin. It's time to wake up. This could happen to you. Abraham said he freed us, but it looked the same way. Jim Crow apartheid, please don't start line. Like they ever stop line, like we ever stop dying. The death rate, the birth rate, risen on the third day. Beginning, middle, I'ma make it in in the worst way. The ballot or the bullet, but some bullets on the ballot box. The right to vote, that's a hoax. We dealing with a slob box. The devil saying, why not? We dealing with some savages. We dealing with some challenges. No time for praying mantises. I'ma visualize a revolution in my neighborhood. Take a bad situation, I'ma make it I got a riddle, I'm the reason that the game is played Some of us made it over, some of us stayed A gang of people died when they was on their way Who am I? I'm a victim of the slave trade I got a riddle, I'm the reason that the game is played Some of us made it over, some of us stayed A gang of people died when they was on their way Who am I? I'm a victim of the slave trade This government feels that it is too much to set about something real to solve the problem for the slaves who made our greater contribution even than your people did, why the government doesn't even deserve to continue to function as a government. 